Hello, welcome to another episode of Pod Save Africa. I'm your host, Akande Adirili, and on with me today, I have uh, Moyo Orekoya, my good friend, and uh, yeah, Moyo, tell, tell our guests a little bit about yourself. Thank you very much for having me on the show again, Akin. Well, not again, this is the first time. Yeah. <laughs> but as you mentioned, my name is Boyer, and I went to the same school as Akin in Chicago, Illinois Tech. Um, I'm a chemical engineer by degree, but I'm non-practicing. I am a project manager at a startup in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I'm generally interested in politics, economics, and how we can improve the state of Africa as a whole, particularly Nigeria, because that's where I'm from. Okay. Great. So my, my first question with you, given what we're discussing today, is, um, you know, what would you say is the general state of of the civic system? And by civic system, I mean, you know, what's the state of, of people's understanding of their rights and what they should demand from their government, what the government thinks they, they the people deserve of themselves? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a general question, but if you were to summarize from your percept your your perspective, sure. uh, what what we're doing and what we're doing well, what we're not doing so well. Sure, um, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think it's sort of I don't know. I'm thinking of the best way to sort of describe this, um, but I think particularly for Nigeria, I know this is part of Africa, but I would really try to narrow and focus on Nigeria because okay. you know, that's what I call it on. Um, I'd say most Nigerians are complacent but apathetic um, okay. to their particular rights and whatnot. So in the sense that I think on some level there is a deep feeling that this is not how things should be, hmm. um, but the appreciation of how things should actually be and what their rights are, I think might be absent. And I think this stems from maybe a poor educational system in the sense that, well, first off, we don't have a lot of literate people in Nigeria, but yeah. I think that there is a, there is a there is not a lot of emphasis that is placed on educating people about their civic rights and duties hmm. in Nigeria. Right, right. And do you think that, you know, I, I know I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but do you think that's a conscious effort by our leaders to keep us subdued? Or do you think that's just uh, oversight by us in, in terms of creating a society? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think on some level, everyone wants to say that leaders in Nigeria are not particularly competent. But I think they might actually be very smart and they know what they're doing. I think on some level, hmm. there is some benefit, obviously, for them to make sure who are... Um, Yes, nominally enfranchised in the sense that they can vote, but um, politically ignorant. Um, I think on some level, it's not impossible that this is done on purpose. Um, what I what I would say though is, while it might not be done on purpose, I think there is no incentive for them to actually alleviate the situation because they are benefiting from it. Yeah, right? it's easier to rule people that not know um, how to be ruled. Hmm. Um, on some level, that might be that might be the case. Okay. Um, as opposed to all right, I think that, that, that quote right there might actually be the, the title of this episode. It's easy to rule people that do not. I'm writing at that right now. Um, <laughs> great. So, so you know, you, you, you touched on education. So, given your personal experiences, having grown up in Nigeria, what would you say is the state of education? You, you know, did the school you go to give you any education at all about civics or about politics or about, you know, rights and all those things? And if they didn't, what would be the ideal situation? Oh, that's, that's interesting. I think on some level we can check the box and say yes, we have social studies classes. Yes. Right? We, we know um, on paper what these things should be, but I think on some level um, that information doesn't stick with us. Because mm-hmm. again, for me, civic education is not something that you teach in school. I think it should be a lifelong experience. I think it's something mm-hmm. that you actually 
to you actually learn um, to the cost of your life, right? Things change. Yeah. Um, uh, like for instance, let me give a quick example before I go back to the educational system. Like things about you know um, minorities in Nigeria, whether it's either um, by virtue of their sexuality or um, tribes or whatever. Um, I think on some level that information is particularly excluded from our text in, in schools, right? So we don't really have a book on that. And in that sense, we don't really have a way of dealing with situations like that. So yes, we might be able to update our curricula to help the younger people that are coming in, but how do we address people that have already graduated? So if we want to confine civic education just to just schools, that really excludes a large swath population. Okay. I think, again, civic education should be a lifelong process. But back to your original question, I think there has to be a way for us to um, enforce education on what our rights are, um, what roles we play in, in the country and in, in um, how we're being ruled and how we should rule other people. I think that that effort is not particularly emphasized. So it might be emphasized in private programs, which I was lucky to go to, but I'm not okay. sure that that was necessarily emphasized or is necessarily emphasized in public schools. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I would say yes, I was, but again, my experience is anecdotal, and I would right. want to say that that generally the case for everybody else. Okay, okay. So, you know, some things you pointed out now are that the general state of education, whether at informal systems like school or lifelong processes, um, is not is not as good as it should be. Um, do you think yeah. that this is do you think that this shows us this shows up again in how we react to situations in which we've our our government has clearly fallen short. Do you think that that essentially has is part of the reason why we as a we as a, we as societies haven't decided to you know say enough is enough, kick the government out, or and, and, and try and do something a little different? Well, I don't know if that's more. I don't know if that's. Let me think about that for a second. I, I don't know if that's necessarily as a result of you know um, political ignorance. Okay. Um, I think I don't think you necessarily have to have a cognitive appreciation of these facts for you to feel a deep seated need to change things, right? I think most Nigerians are fed up with a lot of things. Hmm. Um, so I don't think that comes from knowing, um, you know, knowing um, the history of Nigeria, yeah. or knowing uh, constitution and things like that. I think yeah, those things are certainly helpful. Hmm. I think that the will to actually do all these types of things, like basically overthrow the government, kick them out, and do things like that. I think that's more of I think that's a different problem. Right. And that might step up from either the, the fact that you are either too focused on your particular case or particular issues to think about from a larger perspective on how you need to overthrow the government to rectify, you know, the problems for the entire country. Right. So I think there's short term thinking. People are more focused on their own problems, how they're going to get their next meal. Yeah. As opposed to like have quality uh, effort to yeah. kick out um so that's I, I would say the problem is slightly different. I do think that there are obviously larger problems um, that stem from a poor civic education from the, from the get-go. And I can go into some of my reticle views here if you let me, but... Um, <laughs> sure, go <laughs> but ahead. I think, what? Sure, go ahead. Okay, sure, okay. Um, so personally, I like to think about you know, the civic system in like two buckets. First off, there's the... You know, the inception of government and how we basically elect our leaders. And then right. the second part was maintain the government and how we ensure that the government is transparent, inclusive, and generally effective. Yes. Um, so, for instance, in Nigeria, we have to create democracy around. And um, we must applaud those efforts. I think that's a good thing. Generally, I think the international community is part of us for Okay. That but I suspect you don't think it works. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it doesn't work. I think 
personally, and this might be anecdotal, I think that for a democracy to thrive, there has to be a level of informed voting. And I do not think that that is necessarily available in Nigeria. Right. This might sound capitalist, and this might sound, you know, as a theoretical, but I think that we do need to find ways to actually improve the way we actually elect government um, leaders and things like that. So, hmm. so again... What would you propose? Well, so I might be wrong. I might, I might actually be wrong. So let me clarify before I go into some of my proposals. Um, first off, it's not impossible that vote is actually not even confirmed, and, and I'm just picking like a subset of my experience. And again, just to give a clarity as to what my experience is, I've seen politicians, you know, hand out money, hand out, you know, gifts for people to vote for them, and I think that's yeah. the problem. Um, but I might be wrong. That might just be a subset of my experience that vote is actually not even confirmed. It's not also impossible that even informed voters do not vote horribly. Um, Fair I don't enough. have any number that Indian voters actually go horribly. And it's also not impossible, but this might actually sound kind of out there too, that might be necessary for a government, for a democratic government, to actually have some informed voters or people that are apathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that's just a caveat I would, I would at least put out there. It's not impossible that we might need people that don't really care as much, um, because if everybody cares and half of the country cares for something and the other half of cares for something that's right that could actually need to like see their attention so it might be necessary for there to be you know some form of apathy hmm. um, but that being said I've been out, that out of the way I do believe that you know we need to make sure that people know what they're actually voting for and I think there are two ways to actually think about this and I'm not sure if any of these things are actually feasible but I've just been thinking about it and it'd be nice to hear people's comments maybe after this has been posted Right. Um, but like we need to we need to sort of and I know it's not very radical I'm about to say this okay <laughs> so I need to restrict people that can vote and wow and like, okay uh, and the reason why I said that is I, I well first off I know that it's a problem and that's not without warrant there are very huge risks when you try to restrict voting right um, it's not important a special interest by co-op the voting process and mm-hmm. the people that have you know subscribed to the agenda or you know incumbents might bar voters from actually trying to kick them out things like that and again in America there's been historical precedent that yeah. show that voting is not very favorable especially how we restricted like well not we I wasn't part of that <laughs> it um, wasn't you somebody else's ancestors <laughs> um, African American because uh, the Jim Crow era yeah. in literacy and profession test but if we have to actually con- consider this how do we actually think we'll do that I, I think one of the things that we need to do is we have to see that membership of the electorate is not not we might not necessarily see that as a right but as a license and the reason why we have to think about it that we all might a good way to think about it is that one when you're voting you're not voting for yourself you're voting for other people you're yeah. basically saying now i want everybody else to be ruled yes and in general in general i understand that we don't want to restrict people from doing things if that can only concerns them but i think in general what we've done in the past is whenever we see that people are doing things that affect others we found ways to restrict it right so right mm. now if you want to be a driver you have to get a license yeah right? because yeah you're having your car you can decide to do whatever you want but, but you might kill somebody yeah. Yeah, there are other people that are driving, and right. the other people that are walking on the street. I want to make sure that you are able to actually um, take care of, well, you know, monitor. We want to monitor the fact that you don't cause harm to these people's lives. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I think we should do is that we have to make sure that people that are actually trying to vote or that are going to vote are actually interested in 
in in the, in the country. Right. The problem is that you demonstrate that you are taking the pain or the time to actually learn about the political, right. economic, and um, cultural values of your of your country or whatever you're going right. for. So, so let, let me let me let me hold you right there. So now you know the other part of that is to, is that we don't at least from my personal experience, I don't. There doesn't seem to be much in the ways of value systems for opposing political candidates, right? So you know, even saying that you know I as a person should go and learn about this candidates, whereas the only difference I know between them is their names or some you know aloof statements about their character. How do you know? Isn't that this other part of the coin that needs to be solved, perhaps even first? before we start demanding of people to learn something that isn't necessarily there? Sure. Well, so I think the first thing is, I'm not necessarily saying that we should um, learn a lot about the candidates themselves. I'm saying we should show that the people, anyone that wants to grow it, is taking the time out to actually learn about the basic facts, um, general things that demonstrate that you actually want to be a participatory member of um, the citizenship or the electoral um, group. Okay. Um, but again, to the point, I do believe that what we need to do is also to risk the, the odds of electing like a horrible um, leader. So the, the, what I mean by that is we need to find ways to sort of restrict the people that can actually run for office. And hmm. what this means is when somebody wants to run for office, we need to have like a third party board that can actually evaluate candidates and make sure that the people... Um, the people that are running are actually competent, at least a base level of competence. Right. Um, so that's, I think that we should also have third parties that basically show or communicate policies to people in ways that um, are objective hmm. um, and in ways that they can understand. Um, so basically, rather than just writing, because again, we have like a lot of military people, we have to look for different ways to communicate these policies to people. Right. I think we've, we've had in a particular way, um, I think we have debates yes. in the country. That of course, more value can be debates. I think that's one way to actually do that. And I think translate, translating these debates and putting it on radio for people to actually hear what politicians are actually saying is a good way to actually go about doing that. I also think that we could also restrict the ways um, in which politicians can campaign. So rather than allowing them to give people money for votes or do certain things like that, we have to restrict things like that and say, you know what, it's illegal for you to actually give money, give goods, food, anything. Yeah, for votes, yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah, for votes. That's fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think once you start doing things like that, um, and you target both sides of the coin, um, you might actually get a more informed electorate that you might actually have, have like better options that people can vote for. That's I understand right. Then it might not be feasible. My first option, which is to like basically restrict who can vote, is also not without precedent. In Nigeria, you have to be 18 years old to vote. Yeah. Like, what, what, why do we restrict that? Why do we allow these people to not vote to vote? And I think one of the things that we say is that on some level, once you're 18, you're going to a particular point where you are competent to make decisions. Right. And you are also with, and these decisions affect you. Now, why do we assume that when you cross that threshold, you automatically to become, yeah? I think that it's kind of arbitrary. Uh, and I think we need to actually take a more nuanced approach where we actually figure out that do you actually know what is going on? Like, do you actually know what the president can do? The president is telling you that he's going to reduce the dollar amount or he's going to do this or going to do that. Can the person and, actually do that? Yeah, can you actually do that? Mm. Like, what are the rules? What are the powers of your local government? What can they actually do? What are the promises that they're going to do? What can they actually do? I think once people demonstrate that they do that, and we do this for other things, um, like you have to get a license to drive, you have to get a license to fly, yeah. you have to start a 
doctor. But when it comes to the, um, to the, the issue of voting, we, we've taken it so personal. We think it's sacrosanct to actually be able to vote. To vote right. I think what I think about it differently, like, okay, voting is not just about you. It's about how you actually affect other people's lives. Hmm. And we might actually go a different way to approach that. Right, right. And, and you know, just... Your your plans are are interesting, but they also have risks to them. I, I think some some would argue that how are you sure that this doesn't end up just creating an elitist class of people who always qualify and some people who never qualify based on socioeconomic circumstances around them, and then you know you know simply it's a few set of people or not the total voting population deciding for everybody else. How do you uh, make sure that you're continually expand? What's the incentive for making sure the voting population includes as many people as possible. Uh, that's not a good point. I think one of the things that we want to do is first of want to make sure that it's um, a third party, um, a third disinterested party that works to do this. So like it could be like an like an aspect of INEC, okay. um, for instance, where they, they take they make um, they make material, dedicated material that people have to um, learn from and democratize this. percent on radio, so we say by 12 o'clock on Saturday, we are going to actually, you know, put this information on the, on, on radio where they right. talk about what the constitution is, what the president can do, and these are those still things that are going to be tested. And if you, you know, pass the test and you understand it, right, right. then, you know, we, we basically allow you to register to be a voter. And hmm. again, we have to concentrate on how we test people here, because again, most tests are, in the end, reflective of the biases of the test maker, as opposed to, like, the competence of the test taker. Right. Um, but we have to make sure that we are doing objective, we are asking objective facts, things that can be verified, things that are not, are not arcane information that is not applicable to everyone. Hmm. Um, things that are actually important, and like, like basically showing like what are the functions of these things that you're actually trying to elect somebody for. Right. Like, you know, not talking about like, you know, not a test for hard, hard for being hard sake. Just a test to make yeah, sure people understand. Hard to like restrict people. Like basically, we need to. I think one thing that we can do is run a test. Basically, pick somebody that has never been to school. Okay. Give them and test them and see if they actually pass. Then we huh. know that if not, if even if the average person can, I mean, if this person can pass it, that means the average person can pass it. Right. 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 Uh, once you, you can have those kinds of tests and you're not trying to show. Who is actually interested enough to go through this process? If okay. you're interested enough to go through the process, you have demonstrated that you actually want to participate. Like, we need to raise the barrier to this kind of thing so that okay. you want to demonstrate that you want to be included in this thing, as opposed to just saying, just press your hand on a piece of paper and then we get somebody like Donald Trump. So now, the, uh, the, the, the next question I would ask is that, you know, moving from a, that hypothetical to you know, perhaps a possible future is, let's say we decided, you know, as a community of young, interested participants in, in our society that we wanted to change things. Um, everything from, you know, you know, the way our government works, to even ideas like yours on how we should change the way our elections run. What do, would you yeah. say would be the best strategy for getting involved in government? Um, so, two, two things there. I think well, first thing, actually, just typically one thing, actually. Um, technology is a good way to actually go about solving these problems. And I, and I think I'll work with some of these things uh, in a bit. I know we are sort of running out of time here, but no um, I think that is a very good way to actually affect some of these um, hybrid schemes that we have. Okay. Um, <laughs> I believe one thing that we need to be cognizant of, of course, is 
technology as much as it's liquid equalizer can also be a tool to perpetuate inequality. So mm. everybody has access to the internet, has access to these devices that will give them That's um, true. The, um, the knowledge and things that we want to achieve. So we, we need to be cognizant of that fact. But with that in mind, I do believe that technology is a good way to sort of you know, go about doing these things. Right. So as I mentioned, there are two phases of civic systems, you know, the inception and the maintenance and um, the ongoing part of you know, the government-citizen relationship. I think that's a good, the second part is definitely a good place for technology to come into play. And I think that's where a lot of us that have these good ideas can actually plug in and be agents of change. Okay. Um, so yeah, there are different ways of thinking about it. So think about the government-citizen relationship as a matrix. There's the government-to-citizen, there's the government-to-government-citizen to government. I think the, the government-to-citizen part has a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there for technology to play a big role. I think we have people already working in that kind of um, capacity. So if, if you know about budget Nigeria, right. where basically get data and show, you know, with some form of transparency into the system and show how our um, funds are being spent. Yeah. I think that would be to, to sort of use technology to improve civic system and civic engagement. Okay. I think we need to work on the converse, like, like citizen to government, like how do we communicate information to the government? How do we get our, our leaders to actually listen to us? Mm-hmm. I think in some, some places, I think in America, there's something called, I think it's called C-Click Fix. Um, what happens here is you are basically walking on the road and you see an issue, you can take a picture and send it automatically to your um, local representative. Right. Sort of goes into a workflow and everyone is well aware of you know what the problems are and how to actually improve the improve the um, environment. Hmm. And I think in general, you know, using technology to sort of leverage things, I think that would be a good way to go about doing these things. Okay. But primarily I'm more interested in the citizen to citizen portion of everything. Okay. Not be- we have to wait for the government. I think people are doing a lot of good things um, around here, trying to get um, people interested in solving some of the social deals that we see. Um, for instance, on, on Twitter recently, I saw this uh, thing called Free Sanitary Park. Um, thing. I don't know what exactly the name is, but the incentive, the goal there is to basically get sanitary pads to be in in um, um, lower income areas and getting people to donate and sort of provide resources, right. leveraging social network has been very useful. So I think getting people to you know think about how they can solve problems without having to wait for the government, I think that some technology can really help hmm. uh, move along. That's how most people our age and our without passion can actually participate. And uh, right, right. And and just you know <laughs> This has become a, a common theme I, I see in a lot of the conversations I've been having about governments on the African continent, um, you know, doing things in spite of the government, regardless of the restrictions and boundaries, relying on fellow citizen tr- citizenry to, for support and resources. But, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it eventually must come to a head where some form of political or, you know, some form of of conf- confrontation or conflict will eventually come where uh, you know some the power has to somehow change hands or its power has to be either you know reinstated in the hands of those who already have it how do you think you know as young people we can play it out in such a way that you know eventually when it comes to to the to that point we are in a better place with more leverage to make sure that we can push our or the future in the direction that we hope it, 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 it would need to go. 
sector. I, I think we need to start running for office. Okay. <laughs> what we need to do is we need to start going to local governments and starting how we can start a campaign and, and get into political office. Okay. I know a couple of people are trying to start their own political party and it's tough. Like, I mean, one of the things that I worry about is, you know, like corruption. We, we talk about corruption. I think one of the first um, um, Podcast, yeah. Corruption. And one of the things that I worry about is just how, you know, you get into the system and to actually rise up in a system where you can actually make an effect change, you have to, you have to be corrupt. <laughs> so nobody goes in there with this own mind that, oh, I want to actually be corrupt. What they go in there is that the mind they go in with is more like, I want to go in and change things. Right. But before you can move past certain gatekeepers, right. you have to actually concede to some of their corrupt ways, right? They have to make sure that they can trust you, they can, or they can endorse you. Right. And, and when you like, when you have kingmakers like that, that can be a problem. So to hmm. not give it to far, I think it might be necessary to start a new organization, something that you think would be, you know, corrupt free from the, from the beginning. Right. Um, it might be, um, that might be one way to go about doing it. Another way to go about doing it is to push for more accountability um, in government. So basically, I don't know if naming and shaming works, but I know that, as I mentioned, you know, having this form of transparency that people are aware of what's going on. Yeah. Like, move around and put, put in public there. I think that could be useful. Hmm. Um, I'm not really sure the best way to go about doing this thing because again, it's not a it's not an easy problem. I wouldn't just you know throw out a cavalier solution and then just how to solve it because right. I could solve it, they're solving it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do believe that you know it's not impossible that the the, the, the thing that would I guess solve these problems would be to actually create a new political party and try to effect change from the ground up. Right. I don't know how likely that would be. Because <laughs> a lot of people really appreciate big brand names and they have a lot of cap- capital, social, yeah. political, and capital. Um, but again, I would focus more on trying to solve things outside government first hmm. and uh-huh. trying to see if you can gain some form of capital. Um, in that sense, like political capital, that here, yeah, these are the things that we've done. Hmm. And now we actually want to go to government and try to restructure everything from the inside. Right. Once you can point it that you've done from outside, maybe yeah. that would serve as your ticket yeah. to actually going and. Uh, so building a portfolio aside from the government, then using that as leverage to come and say, you know, yeah. hey, this is why you should trust us with your votes. Yes. All right. That's so, right. so in closing, I have, I have two more questions to ask, uh, and they're sort of vague. But um, uh, what would you say is a part of our current system, and you know, whether it's strategic, whether it's you know structural or uh, societal based, you know, what's a what's a part of the current system that needs we need to get rid of? We need to make sure it doesn't exist in the next ten years as soon as possible. Um, what what do you think should be scrapped? Part of it. Yes. What part of our current system? So, as part of the government, um, some some people have asked this question. And they say, you know, the local government is just a waste of money. Um, some people say it's corruption, which is a fair answer as well. But I wonder, what, what are your thoughts on what needs, what is the most urgent threat um, to a, a greater future? Sure. I definitely think global government is very important, so I wouldn't discuss that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, but I do believe the biggest problem is um, education, or I guess a lack of education. Okay. Um, we do need to figure out how we can get more people to understand how they are being ruled and how to rule. Hmm. Right? I think once we need, to, I think 
from the grassroots, we need to start teaching um, history, um, economics, politics, and things like that from the grassroots. And also, importantly, we need to, well, I just say, go ahead it's fine more important I think we need to we need to teach um, critical thinking right I think having people be able to analyze you know things that are being fed to them by either the media or the leaders I right. think that's actually important in the long term overall like as opposed to just you know solving this big thing called corruption which of course I think that once you have more educated people um, you might be able to have less corrupt society more effective local government and mm. every other thing that people might have actually provided or other suggestions alright alright so the so the flip side of that is that what do you think we have perhaps unique to us perhaps not so unique to us that 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 is great that is working for us that is perhaps going to be one of those pillars that we hold on to for a greater future um both are and our blessing i think um, nigerians are very resilient yes um I can't say the same for other parts of Africa and other denizens of Africa, but Nigeria's No offense to any of my other listeners, but... but when I say I can't say the same, I'm, I'm speaking more like... I, I completely understand, I'm just... Exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that, again, as I mentioned, our blessing on our curse. Right. It's our blessing that we don't, we don't give up, we keep fighting. Um, but I think it's our curse in the sense that we have not given up and just said, you know what, screw this. We're going to just try and overthrow the government. We're going to ask for more. Right. Nigerians try to improve their, their situation. They try to find ways to improve their own personal lot. Hmm. So I think if we can marshal those um, traits or that trait particularly into saying, you know what, F this, we're going to try and change the system. Right. We can do some damage um, with, that politi- with that kind of will and resilience that Nigerians have. Okay, fantastic. Well, that was my final question. Uh, Thank you so much, Moyo Orekoya. This has been Moyo Orekoya sharing his wonderful thoughts and, and harebrained, like you said, ideas for um, revitalizing and, 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 you know, revamping the entire system. Um, this has been your host, I can't do really. uh, I let Moyo say bye one more time. Bye, guys. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day, and I, I hope you've enjoyed um, if you want to reach out to me, once again, my email for this podcast is podsaveafrica at gmail.com. Feel free to email me your thoughts, your ideas. And if you'd like to be on the podcast as well, I'd love to have you and listen to your thoughts. Um, have a wonderful day. Bye.